following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. In our story from Acts this morning, what's happened is that Paul and his party have been uh, sharing the gospel, spreading the good news wherever they go, and they've ended up um, driving out some um, evil spirits uh, from a girl who had been following them, and this girl had been uh, a slave who was being used by her masters to make money for them. She had been telling fortunes. When the evil spirits are driven out, she no longer makes that money. So these people, having lost their financial gain, seek Paul and his party and have them thrown in prison. And while in prison, there's an earthquake, something happens, and basically the, the doors are opened. And the way is free. And the jailer, in his fear that it is his job to keep an eye on the prisoners, grabs his sword to kill himself, and Paul cries out, don't, no, don't worry, we're still here. For me, this is a story of peace. And it's a peace that just is so unfathomable. Because here is Paul in prison. And literally, a get-out-of-jail-free earthquake shows up. And what do he and his friends do? They stay. And to me, that's the foreign concept. Because I want to think about, I want to ask you to think about a time when an opportunity arose for you to do the wrong thing because it would be easier and you took it. Now, we don't have all afternoon for me to sit here and explain those situations to me, but I remember one time, this was a long time ago, I was in third grade and our new PE teacher, Mr. Bender, was there. And we were supposed to go run laps. Now, I know you look at me and say, but Pastor Ted, you are a track athlete. And I say, of course, but I don't want to embarrass my friends. No, I look for any way to get out of running. Unless it involves some kind of goal, you know, you're playing capture the flag, you're playing basketball, you know, there's a ball involved of some kind, you're looking to score goals, like, then I can do it. But like just running for fun, I have the name of some Christian therapists and we can talk. But so we're supposed to run laps around the soccer field as you do sometimes for PE, but it was Mr. Bender's first day. So me and some of my friends thought, aha, is he smarter than a third grader? So what we did was as he was talking to others on the other side of the field, had his back turned to us, we thought, well, we can cut half of this lap off. And boy, did we. We're not talking, oh, I turned the corner hard. 
We're talking halfway through that lap, just, just right across. Because all that was in my head was this will be so much easier than running the full lap. Well, unbeknownst to us, you know, in our third grade brilliance, the thing that Mr. Bender had to do to foil our plans was simply turn around, which he in fact did, which earned me two more laps. Also, on Sunday at church, I'm talking with my mom, and she goes, there's someone I want you to meet. I go, cool. This is Mr. Bender. Let me tell you, being the pastor's kid, meeting someone new, and to have them already know you from a time you tried to cheat laps, not great. Now, luckily to say the Bender family is still a major part of my church back home. I didn't scare them off by my cheating ways. But it was a time where I looked and I saw, I've got the easy way out. That's a very simple thing to think of, and, and we all kind of have those things. You know, maybe it's you've cheated on a test or, or you've made a, a poor decision thinking, I can get out of this easily. But I think as we grow up and we grow into more situations, we start thinking of ourselves more. And we start looking and saying, well, what's best for me? That as I look at the world, I look and I see, well, what's best for me? Look at the 2008 housing crisis. That was a bunch of people looking and saying, well, I see what's coming, but how can I make money off of it? When I was growing up in Northeast Houston, a big one for me in high school was Enron. That we had a lot of people that we knew deeply affected because Enron and the executives and, and people running this energy company decided well, it's about me. And this story of Paul, to me, hits home so deeply because in the moment where he could have run to freedom and no one would have blamed him, he stayed. Not only did he stay, the person who was jailing him, when he looked to do harm to himself, he called out, to stop him and say, no, no, don't do that. We're still here. We haven't left. And then an amazing thing happens. The jailer looks at Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? Now, I don't want to take and put Paul on a pedestal. He did the right thing in that moment. Paul also did a lot of very wrong things. In this story, the goal is not, how am I Paul? But instead, I want to say, how did Paul get to a place where he would stay? Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. Paul stays because he looks at the jailer, not as his jailer, but as someone who needs to know the Lord. 
He doesn't look at him as someone who is subjugating him. Instead, he views this person for their full personhood. And he says, there's someone you need to know. And in fact, my witness of staying here is greater than my own personal freedom. My witness of the ability to run, but staying put is so much greater. And in fact, the Holy Spirit will use it for conversion. Now, he didn't know that when he stayed. He just knew that maybe this was a person who needed the witness of Jesus that Paul could bring. I can barely imagine the amount of peace that Paul would have to have to stay put when freedom was right in front of him. We've been talking about peace over the last four weeks, and we started off by saying the first key to the peace we experience is that it is a peace from outside of us. It is a gift from Jesus. That in his redemption, in his salvation of us, he gives us peace. It's not something that we grow in or earn. It is a gift that is there for us to just have. Now I can say that very nicely in about three sentences, but that's going to be a lifetime of learning what that means of saying, what does this identity of peace mean? We talked about how this was a peace past our understanding, that if it is a peace of the creator of the universe, how could we or want to understand it? Because if we fully understood it, then it wouldn't be a gift from God. And so for us, this peace is past our understanding. It guards our hearts and our minds. In Christ Jesus. We talked last week about how this peace brings with it a serenity. It teaches us to look at the world and say, there are things I can change and things I can't. And as I learn the difference of those things, I find peace in all situations. And let me tell you, that went horribly for me last week. I stood up here, I preached about serenity, I talked about it, and if I did not scare the dog yelling at something on the countertop that wasn't working the way I wanted it to. This peace is a peace that grows. But it doesn't grow because we try harder. It doesn't grow because we are better. It's a peace that we return to Christ over and over. When we get it right and when we get it wrong, when we get it right, we turn to him and say, Lord, you have blessed me with this peace. And I give thanks for that blessing. And when we get it wrong, we go, Lord, here I am again, that idiot that you know. It's me. Please forgive me. That in that identity of peace, in that salvation that Jesus gives to us, it's not about do we have it, do we have to gain it? It is there. It is a free gift given to us in our salvation. It is about returning to the source over and over and over again. I think it's a lot more like hiking a mountain than it is going on a morning walk. Right? On a morning walk, you go for a walk. You know it. It's instantaneous. 
If you've ever hiked a mountain, it is both the best and worst thing you could ever do. It's the worst because to get to a top of a mountain, there are inclines. There's no way around it unless you have a helicopter. And then let's talk. But if you've ever summited or hiked to those heights, you know the reason you do it, the reason you push yourself, the reason you say, I want to be in shape to do this is because when you get to the top, you look back and say, look at where I was and look at where I've come. The peace of God is much more like a mountain climb than a morning walk. And every once in a while, we got to slow down and look back and say, wow, look at where I was. My car looks like an ant. Do you remember two years ago, the peace I struggled with and where I am now? The Lord works in us. It is about a growth process. We don't get it overnight. We grow continually in it. A pastor named Eugene Peterson talked about discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. Peace is a part of the process of discipleship. And we only gain more by following the Lord and learning more what it looks like every day to have his peace. About turning around and saying, Lord, today I need your peace. Or at the end of the night going, boy, Lord, did I run away from your peace today. Because peace can come in two forms. It is a peace that we have that pushes away fear and anxiety, but it's also a peace that we have as we encounter relationship with others. And that's the peace that Paul has in our story today. A peace in relationship. That here is a man, his jailer, who he should have no empathy for. This is the man who is his captor, who's holding him in prison. And when that earthquake happens, Paul could have easily said, here is a gift from the Lord. We out. And instead he stays. Because what Paul sees is the goal is not his freedom. It is the mission of God. Now, what I'm not saying is that this is a prescriptive story that you all should go out, somehow be thrown in prison and pray that there's an earthquake and then you can convert a jailer. That's not what I'm saying. But instead, it is a description of peace that we can look to to say, Paul, who was once Saul, who was the greatest persecutor of the church of his time, who is brought into the fold by Jesus to be one of his missionaries, would stay put and have peace so that the gospel could go out. This is what we read today from the book of Romans. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or a sister. I know I am persecuted in the Lord Jesus I know, I, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother or sister is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. 
But what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. In the early church, there was a discussion about what you could and could not eat. There were Christians who were eating meat that had been sacrificed to the local gods, to these idols. And there was a group of original Christians with a Jewish background who said, no, this is a downfall and you're actually destroying yourself in doing this. And there were those pagan Christians who had become Christian. They said, no, it's just meat. Like it doesn't matter who it was sacrificed to. And so there was this argument. And what Paul said is, listen, if it causes someone else to stumble, don't do it in front of them. Like don't, don't, don't cause them to stumble. Put it aside. Seek to live peaceably with all. So often, we look and we say, what's best for me? When the peace of Christ dwells in us, we start asking, what is best for my neighbor? Now, hear me here, I'm not saying that you become a doormat and you get walked over and that you just go, you know, oh, I'm, I, I can't set boundaries, I can't, that's not what I'm saying. But as far as it concerns you, as you can live in peace with others, do that. With people in the body of Christ, seek to do that. With people outside the body of Christ, seek to do that. Share that peace. Look at what happens when Paul shares the peace that he has. The question is, what must I do to be saved? Peace is a gift that's not just meant for us. It's meant to be shared with those around us. It's meant for us to look and say, Lord, your peace is so at work in my life that I can share it with those around me. That I can seek to live in peace wherever I go. Peace is a gift given of God for our benefit and for our neighbors. Several times in our readings and, and as we talked about what Jesus spoke of the kingdom, we talked about righteousness. Well, your righteousness between you and God is a gift that God has given to you. There is nothing that can take that away. Jesus' death on the cross gives you that righteousness. But what God is looking to do is he's saying, don't let it just be for you. Share it. And righteousness isn't about saying, look, I did everything right. It's about the two greatest commandments. Love God and love others. When we see that righteousness idea, that is what God is calling us to. He's saying, listen, live in that righteousness to love me and love others. And so he gives us this peace, not as something for us to hoard 
but as something that we can give away. As something we can take into every situation in our lives and declare the goodness of God. That we would look at others with empathy even when they don't deserve it. To say the peace of Christ is given to me and so I seek to give it away. I won't make you do it this morning because we're still, you know, figuring out how we come out of this next turn in COVID. But there used to be, uh, used to be, there still is a thing that as people would come together at church, they would share or pass the peace and just say, the peace of the Lord be with you, which seems very kind of trite and um, almost rote at times, at least it did to me. But the more I think about it, the more I think, listen, as I, as I proclaim it, as I speak it, that is the word of the Lord going out. To say the peace of the Lord be with you. That is a simple blessing that you can give to anyone. The peace of the Lord. I'd encourage you this morning as, as we hang out after church, just maybe start your conversation by saying, hey, peace of the Lord be with you. Speak that blessing over someone, to your family, to your kids, to your spouse, to your friends, to those in the body of Christ. The peace of the Lord be with you. Speak it as a prayer for those who need it, that the peace of the Lord would be with them. Because it is a gift given to us not to hoard, but to share. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your peace. We pray that it wouldn't just be about us, but it would be about a gift we can give. That even in the worst situations, even in those moments where we can't seem to find empathy for the other person, that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. That we would give that empathy that peace to others for the sake of the kingdom. In your son Jesus' name, amen.